I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high. The lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I choose to praise, to glory. Glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. When my heart is heavy all my days, oh yes, I will for all my days, oh yes, I will for all my days, yes, I to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the maker of 
the heavens and the earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He keeps my journey safe. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord most high. Strong to save, he upholds my To the Lord Most High. He is the shade and my right hand, my shelter in the storm. No sun by day, nor moon by night shall ever bring me harm. He will not slumber, will not sleep. He watches all my ways. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord most high. Strong to save, he upholds my life forever. to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth the god of israel is my guide wherever i may go and in his strength i will abide until he needs me home. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord most high. Strong to save, he upholds my life. Forevermore, he will be. up to the Lord.
my eyes unto the Lord most high. I lift my eyes unto the Lord most high. Amen. You may be seated as we continue.
salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. Pray with me, church. Heavenly Father, we are just ever so thankful for you choosing us, for you being a wonderful Savior, Lord, and Father. Lord, I just pray that we continue to have appreciation for the wonderful blessings that we have and that we use those blessings to gather more people for your kingdom. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for all that you provide, Lord. We pray this all. Amen. Thank you. What Michael was reading there to you in Exodus 15 was really the first song recorded in the scripture, Moses' song. And as you noticed there at the end, it said that he will lead his people. He'll lead us. He will guide us. He will take care of us. Let's sing together. He leadeth me. Yeah. 
I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. and greatly to be praised. I give glory to your name, O Lord, glory to your name, O Lord, for your name is great and greatly be praised. Way to victory, 
I'll know he lives. Now just your voices, sing it out to him. Because he Dear Heavenly Father, life is worth the living because you are alive. You have conquered sin and death. And we have hope. Mm. That blessed hope that is only because of the precious Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And thank you for that blessed hope, that blessed future that we have with you. May we live our lives expecting, expecting you to do great things each and every day because you are alive. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, and I hope you're doing well. I want to encourage you. I hope you've already been encouraged by somebody speaking to you today. Uh, if you haven't spoken to someone, take a moment to speak to someone before you leave today. We all need encouragement, don't we? And I'm glad you're here. I just pray in the next couple of minutes we'll have some, some thoughts from God's Word that will help each one of us and strengthen us in our journey. A reminder of just a couple of things that are coming up that you can be a part of. We want to be about the business of sharing God's love with other people, his grace and his, uh, his prevailing mercy. The Innkeeper's Journal, as you know, is a book that was written a couple of years ago that uh, shares a fictitious story that parallels with truth of Scripture, and it shares the gospel. We're going to be sending that to all of the senators in the United States, as well as the U.S. Congress and the White House and the Vice President. And if you want to help out this week, we're going to begin the process of putting those books together. We're going to need to mail those in about another uh, 10 days to 14 days. So if you want to help out with that, you, know, you just let us know. Get us the information. I wish we had those communication cards, but let us know. You can drop something off back at the sound booth afterwards. And also the invite cards uh, are available. You'll see those, and let me see where those are. I didn't. Mike, look behind you. They're right in front of Jeff. Jeff, would you hold them up? Do a little Vanna White for us. Just... Hold up these cards. These are available in their packets of 50. Didn't he do that well? These are packets of 50 for you to give out at Halloween. It has a gospel presentation on the back. It has incorrect information about our church times. So don't remind us of that. Because somebody's going to call in and say, we got the wrong information on the card. We know that. But we have thousands of these left over. So let's get them out there. They'll, they'll be close. It tells them that Bible study is at 9.30 and worship is at 10.45. Most people show up early anyway, so they'll be fine. So don't worry about it. If you're bothered about that, we'll gladly let you pay for printing of new cards. But we have thousands of cards in groups of 50. Pick them up, take them, use those to drop off with great candy. Don't be that sucker person. 
give out a whole bunch of candy with one of those cards and let people know we'd love to have them. You ready for a pop quiz? A little pop quiz. Uh, you can take out a piece of paper. You can think just true or false. But this is something that we did with the youth. So, so all of our youth will get 100% on this one as we go through it. But the first question, flying in an airplane is safer than driving in a car. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Don't look on other people's paper. This is on your own. True or false, Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem. Keep it to yourself, okay? Third, heroin is a safe medicine. Number four, horse manure is one of the biggest problems in New York City. Horse manure is one of the biggest problems in New York City. Okay, last question. The best place to buy gasoline is a pharmacy. All right, let's score our papers. How'd you do? Flying in an airplane, safer than driving in a car? Ew. All these questions were taken from 100 years ago. A century ago, it was not safer to fly in an airplane than to drive in a car. Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem. True or false? A hundred years ago, it was false. He had written the Star Spangled Banner, but it wasn't the national anthem. So if you ask somebody a hundred years ago, did Francis Scott Key write the national anthem, they would say, well, no. Heroin is a safe medicine. A century ago, sold over the counter to help you deal with a cold. Can you all imagine what will be happening today in COVID? My goodness. Horse manure is one of the biggest problems in New York City. It was 100 years ago. They had piles and piles and piles and piles of it everywhere. The stench was unbelievable in New York City because cars had not yet taken over. So horses did everything. The best place to buy gasoline is the pharmacy. True. Didn't have gasoline stations yet. Cars were not that prevalent. So if you wanted to buy some gas, you went to, believe it or not, the pharmacy. You know, we see things a little bit differently, don't we? Just 100 years removed. Question is, do we see things a little bit differently in our relationship with God than we did five years ago or 10 years ago or maybe 25 years ago? Or have we stayed status quo of where we were back then? We just carried our faith as just the same as it was way back then. God wants to interrupt us and to grab our attention. That's what he's doing right now. Now, that took a lot of planning to put that together. <laughs> Timing everything. Well, I'll tell you about a little interruption we had. Caleb Parker, where are you, my friend? There he is, 11 o'clock last night. We'd been out of town for a couple of days. And he watches our dog whenever we're out of town, does a great job with that. And uh, at 11 o'clock, he walked through our front door, and our alarm went off. And I mean, Michelle and I were in a dead sleep. I jumped up. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I started running, and I said, hey! Like, that's going to scare off a guy with a gun. I don't know, but... And, and he was as scared as we were because he thought there was already a guy with a gun inside. He didn't know that we were back yet. 
Great interruption, I will say, Caleb. Good job. God wants to do that in our life. When's the last time you had something like that? Where you just were like, hey, I don't know what else to do. God is doing something in our lives, and that's what John is, is wanting to do. He's, he's wanting to grab our attention to say, if you're a little stale in your faith, if you feel a little bit distant from God, I want to just grab and shake you, John says. I want you to see that he is the Son of God, and that if you believe in him, he won't just be an appendage to your life, just a, a fixture, an, an add-on, but he will literally change the way that you live your life. We continue in the trial of Jesus. It seems like it's been such a long process and there's so much to unpack, but we'll finish up that part of the trial in which Jesus goes before Pilate. Before we do, I want us to see a piece of history not too far ago, 1943. There was a Brooklyn Dodgers president by the name of Branch Rickey. Some of you are old enough to remember those days. It was during the Second World War and so talent pool for professional baseball was somewhat limited because those that were serving in the military. And he wanted to acquire the very best baseball players he could get regardless of skin color. It wasn't a sociological ploy. Rick, he just wanted to have the very best players on his team. And he would tell Jackie Robinson, he says, I want to win pennants. So I'm willing to do anything to accomplish that. But because... It was a sociological issue. He said there is more than just playing baseball. And if you know much about the integration of professional baseball, you know about that historic meeting in August 28, 1945, in which Robinson met with Branch Rickey Clyde Sukaforth for three hours. Rickey had a plan to bring Jackie Robinson onto the team. And as they were meeting, Sukaforth said, as he looked at Robinson, he can run, and he can field, and he can hit, but can he take it? And then Ricky began to animate all these scenarios of what would play out on the baseball field, demonstrating racism, yelling these insults at Robinson. And then he calmly disengaged, and he says, now, what do you do? Robinson was somewhat confused. And he said, Mr. Ricky, do you want a ball player who's afraid to fight back? And Ricky replied, I want a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. He was talking about restraint. We live in a time in which retaliation seems to be the greatest power. But if you look over the career of Jackie Robinson, his great achievements were the result of his restraint. True strength is manifested through self-control, especially when powers collide, and we see that in John chapter 19. A couple of things for us to think about as we look at this, this relationship between Pilate, the Jews, and Jesus. When powers collide, weakness is revealed. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. We tend to believe that we can manipulate circumstances in life. Steve Jobs famously said, we are to make a dent in the universe. So many people have used that as a challenge to do something significant with your life. 
But his widow said just last year, what he was really saying is you need to believe that you have the ability to manipulate the circumstances. Do we? When powers collide, we have to ask the question, do we really have the power to manipulate circumstances? As we look at this particular trial of Jesus before Pilate, we're going to find that seven different times, seven, Pilate is trying to get Jesus released. It is only by the power of Jesus Christ that Jesus went to the cross. It's important for us to know that. He is not a hapless victim. He is in charge. We pick up the story. It tells us in verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, then. That's a continuation from chapter 18. What had happened right before that? Pilate thought he had the answer. He brought out Barabbas next to Jesus. He thought surely all of the crowd will come to their senses and they'll recognize that they really want Barabbas to be go going to the cross rather than Jesus. They'll release Jesus, but that didn't work. So now he has to come up with another plan. Pilate's morning has been interrupted. This wasn't on his schedule for the day. The Jews came over and said, we need to kill this guy. And Pilate's like, why? Through the course of the conversation, it became more and more apparent that the Jews were intent on having Jesus crucified. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him, to him one by one, again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Those brief words tell us so little, and John understands that the readers will, 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 will capture the magnitude of what was happening. Pilate thought, if I could have Jesus flogged, have him beat up severely, then they'll lose their appetite for killing him. That will satisfy them. And no longer will he be seen as a threat or as a Jew. Flogging was merciless. Now we hear about the 39 lashes. How many times have we heard that? The 39 lashes. Well, that's what the Jews did to one another. You couldn't exceed 39 because if you went to 40, that was too far. And they wanted to make sure that they stayed in the parameters. Rome had no parameters. You know what the cutoff was for Rome? The main administrator overseeing it would call it to a stop. Or the two execution, or the, the torturers, much like executioners, until they got so exhausted they couldn't beat the man anymore. And it was a, it was a cat of nine tails is what it's called. It had these strips of leather with metal and bone on it. Or the third option was when the victim died because it was such a brutal beating. The pilot probably instructed, beat him, just don't kill him. So they went at it. And you see what the soldiers do. This was Pilate's attempt, exercising all of his power. This is the most powerful man in Israel. And he's exercising what he thinks is his power over Jesus. Knowing that once he stood out there in front of all the people, beaten, bloodied, and bruised, they would then let him go. They would be appeased. He would never be able to regain his status as a king. But it didn't work. So we go to verse 4, and it says, once more, when, when powers collide, weakness is revealed. We've had all, we, all of us have had that experience in our life. 
We have met someone that is powerful. We have watched people that are powerful. When they collide, somebody is stronger than the other. Weaknesses began to be revealed. It says in verse 4 that once more Pilate came out and he said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate repeatedly says, I find no reason for this trial to continue. Certainly not to kill him, but this man is completely innocent and John wants us to see that. See, Jesus isn't just a good teacher, which we oftentimes hear. He's not just a moral leader. He is a sinless son of God. And John wants us to see that. Jesus died as our atonement for our sins because he had no sins. And as Pilate, as John walks us through this process, he reminds us that Jesus is without sin. Find no basis, any charge against him. And he said, here is the man. He didn't look like a king anymore. He's trying to say, this man is no threat to you. Let's let him go. But then they began to yell, crucify him. Pilate said, you take him. They said, we have no basis. I have no basis of a charge against him. In verse 7, it says, the Jewish leaders then insisted, we have a law. According to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, now we see the colliding of power here. Interesting. The power of Rome, the Jewish leadership, Jesus, all this power colliding. Stay with me. And when all of this becomes, comes together, we see weaknesses being exposed. We have a law. What was the law that the Jews were talking about? Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. We have a law that if someone makes himself out to be God, they become a blasphemer and they are to be stoned to death. The Jews had full capacity to do exactly that. They just couldn't crucify him. And they wanted him crucified so that he would be despised by all of the people. When they said he claimed to be the Son of God, in verse 8, Pilate, it says, John writing, historically accurate witness that was there, he said Pilate was even more afraid. Most powerful man in all of Israel. He's mortified. Why? The Romans were very superstitious. They believed in many gods. That's why they have the pantheon. They believed in many gods. And so he thought, maybe Jesus is connected. Which God are you connected to? And he feared that if he did something to Jesus and Jesus was tied to somebody else, what's going to happen to him? He says, where do you come from? And Jesus gives no answer. The powers are colliding. Pilate, with all the power of Rome, collides with the power of divinity, of deity with Jesus. Jesus remains silent. And it so agitates Pilate, he bristles up and he says, you're not going to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power to either set you free or to crucify you? And Jesus, with full restraint, full restraint, his creator, his sustainer, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. But power. From then on, here we go, number four. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Be sure your sins will find you out. Pilate had merciless, mercilessly killed numerous Jews. And that was coming back to haunt him 
And the Jews knew that. And they had power over him. Their power, his power, all of it. We see the weaknesses coming together. See, Tiberius, who was the Caesar at the time, was a very suspicious ruler. Even the hint of disloyalty would be fatal. And so he knows, Pilate knows, I'm trapped. If I release this person that says he is a threat to Caesar, then I could lose my power. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Didn't he have the power to do that? Pilate had all the power of Rome backing him. He could have very easily set Jesus free. But because of Jesus' power over him, he did not. Let's go on. Are you with me? Not very convincing. Look at verse 13. This is so important. I mean, it may not even feel important to you. But what I want us to get is, Jesus is completely in charge of the situation. And he doesn't sin through any of this process, nor has he through all of his 33 years of life. And John wants us to see that he is a sinless Savior dying for our sins. And it says, then when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat him down on the judge's seat. Oh, this is so interesting the way it starts weaving together here. He's literally sitting down on what is called the bema. It is a judgment seat. You see it there as translated the stone pavement or the, in Aramaic, uh, the Gabbatha. And he says, here is your king. This was where Pilate would sit to pronounce sentence. This is where he had the most power revealed. He is sitting in the judge's seat, on the judge's bench, and he can do whatever he wants. And he cries out, and now he says, here is your king. Interesting how it goes back and forth. He's a man, then he's a king. He's a man, then he's a king. Here's your king. And they shout it out. Crucify him. Pilate responds back. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate knew that the, 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 the Jews were chafing for a king. They hated Roman domination. They longed for the days. In fact, that's what the Messiah was all about, is another Messiah would come like David and would overthrow all of their oppressors and they would have a king again. He says, there's your king. What shall I do with your king? And he'll crucify. Because we have no king but Caesar. Wow. We don't want anybody but Caesar. Their weakness revealed that they would do anything to get rid of Jesus. And we're talking about the Bema seat there. That word is used again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to what it says. Paul was writing. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. He was sitting in the judge's seat, judging the judge that will eventually sit on the true Bema seat that will judge all of humanity. So finally, again, he made one last attempt. 
Pilate was trying to bully Jesus. He was trying to bully the Jews. The Jews were bullying Pilate. The only person in that scenario that was not desperate was Jesus. He was the only one that was truly free. I can see it in your faces that I have not impressed you at all. How would we, how would we say this? How would we present a court case so bizarre that you would end up with these results? President Biden jaywalks in front of the White House. And the Supreme Court sentences him to die. And the execution is carried out. It's, it's that unheard of. That all of these dynamics will come together and the only way that could happen is because Jesus is Lord. And John is saying to us, the alarm needs to go off in our lives to see who Jesus truly is. See, when powers collide, weakness is revealed. But so is God's strength and the fact that it prevails. God's strength always prevails. Jesus faced horrible injustice. They violated multiple laws, many codes of ethic, yet he was not a victim. It seemed as if the system was rigged, and it was, because Jesus had rigged the system. Abraham Kuyper was the one who said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Complete supremacy. Think back to something you've heard so many times. It talks about the dominion of Christ, the picture of what's taking place here. The soldiers, who seem so powerful that they weave together a crown of thorns, and they put it on Jesus' head to, to hail him as the king. It just seems like being malicious. But go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. Why did Jesus come? To reverse the curse so that we're no longer banished and separated from God, but we're brought back into relationship with him. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, when the curse is, is manifested and God talks about it, it says, now when you till the soil, it will create thorns. Here's a picture of the curse being placed on Jesus to take away our sins. It looked like it was just a, a great way to mock Jesus and inflict further pain. But here is this beautiful picture that John draws our attention to say is it is the power of Jesus taking away our sins. Isaiah 52 verse 14 tells us 700 years before this trial took place, that the Messiah would come and he would be beaten so savagely that you would not even recognize him as a human being. And that's who Jesus was. See, although the criminals were conducting the trial, Jesus was the one in charge. So we say all that. When powers collide, it reveals weakness, but it, it helps us to know that God's strength always pervades. So which strength are we depending on? 
Are we depending on our own ingenuity, our own brilliance, our own abilities, skills, our talents, our resources? Are we depending on that to be the power? Because if we are, eventually weakness will be revealed and God's strength will prevail. And so the question is, which one? Which one are we depending on? It goes back to the situation, are we, are we in relationship with God when he is, where he is Lord over all of our life? Whose power are you depending on? All of us are problem solvers, right? We're all fixers, right? We see a problem, what do we do about it? We seek to resolve it, right? And God has put before us, the problem is that we are separated from God and only Jesus Christ can make us right. So it is our responsibility to resolve it in our own life, to come to the recognition that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But we cannot make that happen on our own. We can know that God loves us. We can know that he's created us to have a relationship with him. But only Jesus Christ can bridge the gap over our sins and bring atonement to our lives and make us right with God. And that starts with us. What is our part of the problem? How do we resolve it? We humbly repent of our sins, and we fully surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And some of you have heard that so many times, as I've shared in each and every message. And we pray that prayer to fully surrender our life to Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, I pray that you would join me in this prayer and invite Jesus Christ to become the Lord and Savior of your life, that you would appropriate His power to prevail in your life. And if you're already a Christian, Friends, I think all of us realize in the midst of this COVID situation, it has revealed the weakness of the church. It has revealed the complacency among so many believers throughout the world. It has revealed our desperate need for God. It has revealed the weakness of man-made religion. And so we have to beg the question, Will we allow the power of God to prevail in our lives or will the weakness of humanity continue to be revealed? So let's pray. Let's earnestly seek God out. God, we thank you that as we look at this simple piece of Scripture, 16 verses that tell us so much about that those exchanges that you had with Pilate, revealing that you were the one in the driver's seat, revealing that as powerful as humanity may think, weakness will always be revealed. Our weakness is that we are sinful and we are fallible, but you are perfect and sinless in every way. You are omnipotent. Your power never increases, it never decreases because it's perfect. And Lord, we recognize that throughout these year and a half, we have seen our own weaknesses revealed. Those things that we leaned upon for strength and encouragement. Those benchmarks that we looked at to say, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. They've all been knocked out from under us. And we see through this passage of Scripture that it is only your strength that will prevail. And we can simply appropriate that or we can deny that. Lord, if anyone in this room has never appropriated your power for forgiveness and grace, the power of 
being restored into relationship with you, I pray that today they would say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I will obediently follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. And God, may that be the line for all of us that claim the name of Christ. We feel that energy being depleted from our lives. We, we feel that void in our lives. We feel the powerlessness. And Lord, we know why. Because it only comes through a fully surrendered life to you. May we obediently follow you hard the remaining days of our one and only life. Break through into our lives, we pray. In Christ's name we ask. You know, if you pray to receive Christ, we'd love to hear about that and help you to take your next steps towards baptism and being integrated into a church and to be discipled and to grow as a Christian. And maybe you're a guest with us today and something about this situation, you said, I, I want to be a part of that church. We invite you into membership. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you want to be baptized to become a member, uh, we invite you to, to meet us at the door. And again, if you've accepted Christ, you need someone to talk to, just pull somebody to your side after the service. They will point you in the right direction. Um, we need to worship. So let's stand together and let's just think about all that we've experienced in this hour and let's begin to sing and praise God. Cheer and 
hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Beginning to end my life. your voices let's sing it out strong great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i sing all i have need in thy hand hath provided Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.